Well, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series, What's Next? As we enter this new year, we want to know, you know, kind of what's coming down the, the line, what's, what's happening, what's, what's going to, what this new year is going to be like. Uh, and we're using Joshua, the figure from the Old Testament, uh, kind of as our springboard, some of the things that happened in his life, uh, and thinking about, you know, what is next. Um, uh, as I think about Joshua, of course, there's uh, wonderful uh, songs that are related to him. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Do y'all remember that? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Y'all might not remember that song, but if you did as a little kid. But uh, anyway, uh, Joshua was the one that God had appointed to follow Moses. And if you look in your order of service, and if uh, you're viewing online, we're, we're reading out of Joshua chapter 1, and this is verses 1 and 2 uh, from the beginning of that book of the Old Testament. It says, uh, now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, his dad's name was Nun, Moses' servant. So Joshua was Moses' servant. This is what the Lord said. Moses, my servant, is dead. So now arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them to the sons of Israel. So God says to Joshua, you're the one who's going to follow Moses, my servant, who is now dead. And Joshua, you're the one that's going to lead my people, all of the people of Israel, into this land that I have promised from generations before, promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joshua, you're the one who's going to lead them now that Moses is no longer here. And as I've thought about Joshua's life through, through the years, a question that, that kind of is, and it's the title of our sermon is, is, you know, did he feel like he was prepared for that awesome task? And as we think about what's next, as we think about 2021, do we feel prepared? Do you feel prepared for what might be coming? Now, when we think about preparation, if, if we're, you know, a student or, or if we're, uh, in academics, and we've got a test coming up, then there's things that we do to prepare. You know, we look at our notes, we looked at, you know, what the teacher had told us to do, and, and we get ready that way. Uh, Monday night, most of you guys are probably going to be watching the football game, the college football game, the national championship uh, between Alabama and, uh, what's that other team? <laughs> Ohio State. Uh, but anyway, um, those guys have been preparing uh, for this game by looking at game films of their opponent, by getting the coaches have been saying, here's what we need to do to, to be successful against this other team. And so there's lots of things that we do in preparation as an athlete. We want to stay in shape. We want to do what the coach tells us to do if we're on a team. Uh, you know, there's lots of things. If you're having people come and visit, if you hosted people over the holidays, what did you do in preparation? Well, you probably made sure the house was straight and cleaned. And if you were providing food then you made sure either you ordered it and picked it up or you cooked it or whatever it might've been. But there's lots of things that we do in preparation for guests that come to our house. And so when we think about preparation of things that are scheduled or things that we know that are coming up, we kind of know how to prepare and sometimes we might feel prepared because we've done as much as we can do, or sometimes we might enter that test or that experience, and we don't feel prepared. Uh, and so when I think about Joshua, you know, I think, was he prepared or did he feel prepared 
Uh, and so what I want to do is quickly look at his life and, and, and show you how he was prepared. And that might be some of those things that can encourage us. But then we'll look at some other things as we finish this, this morning. But when we think about uh, something that, so, so Joshua, this wasn't the first time that God said, hey, I want you to be the leader after Moses, has died. Moses dies. And so uh, when, we, when we meet Joshua, we meet him uh, in the book of Exodus. And uh, the people have come out of Egypt. So Joshua was one of those people that grew up in Egypt. They were slaves. Uh, he sees Moses coming on the scene and, and sees all the great miracles that happen, sees the mighty hand of God. And as they cross the Red Sea uh, and this massive separation of the waters, Joshua is one of those people that goes across. And he's on the other side, and he sees God bring the, the water back, and Pharaoh's army is drowned, and he sees this powerful experience. Um, he sees the mountain that trembles and the, and the earth shaking with God's presence and the cloud and the fire and the, and the lightning, and, and he, he sees how awesome this God is that they're serving. Uh, he sees every morning that there's manna that's being prepared for them and, and the quail that comes and the, the, all, all the food that God provides for them. He sees Moses strike the rock and water comes out, all the great miracles that God is doing. Joshua is seeing that. And then at the very beginning of their experience in, in the wilderness, uh, Amalek decides he's going to attack God's people because it's this massive group of humanity coming through his land. And so this king of this particular nation says, I don't want these people coming into my land. So he gathers an army and he's going to attack the Israelites. And so the very first time we see Joshua, we see Moses, and this is chapter 17 of Exodus, coming and speaking to Joshua. And he says, gather up a group of men, gather an army basically to fight against Amalek. Now these guys have been slaves. They, they don't have a standing army. Now, they might know how to fight, but they're not trained in war because they've had hundreds of years of slavery. And uh, so Moses handpicks Joshua and says, I want you to gather a group of people and I want you to fight against Amalek. Now, the problem was Amalek had an army, seasoned soldiers. So there's a lot of confidence in Joshua. And so Joshua does, and, and we find that... Um, Moses stations himself on a hill, and as long as he holds his hands up with the staff in his hand, Israel prevails. But if Moses' arms fall, then Amalek begins to prevail. So Aaron and Hur stand there side by side Moses and keep Moses' arms up, and God works through Joshua and those men that were chosen to fight, and they have a great victory. Uh, so we see also that at that particular time, Moses said, okay, Joshua, you're going to be my right-hand man. So Joshua is with Moses throughout the whole rest uh, of the experience in the wilderness. And when Moses is told to go up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and the covenant, which are all the things that they have to do to, to follow God, God takes Joshua up on the mountain. And Joshua doesn't get to go to the highest place where God meets with Moses, but Joshua is on the mountain. And God meets with Moses for 40 days and for 40 nights and gives him the commandments. And then basically God says, hey, you need to go back down to the camp because the people of my people have disobeyed me. And that's when they made the golden calf. And that's when Aaron uh, allowed them to worship other gods. So as Moses is coming down from the mountain, he meets Joshua who's been on the mountain as well. And Joshua says, something's going on in the camp. 
I don't know if there's a party going on. I don't know if there's a war started, but it is noisy. It is loud, and I, I don't know what's going on. And Moses says, well, they've been disobedient. But here's Joshua staying up on the mountain with Moses. They come down. Moses sees the golden calf. He's, he's angry with the people of God, uh, and, and, and time goes on. Uh, we don't have time to talk about that. But then once they establish their campsites and they begin to, to build the tabernacle and they move from place to place, Moses establishes something called a tent of meeting. And it's a separate tent. And Moses would go into this tent and he would meet with God. And the presence of God would come down on this tent like a big cloud. And Joshua would stay right outside the entrance of the tent. And Moses would meet with God. When Moses would leave, the scripture says that Joshua stayed at the entrance of the tent. So Joshua is watching Moses. How is he leading? How is he doing things? His relationship with God is so significant, and he's learning from experience. Uh, he sees how Joshua, I mean, how Moses um, listens to his father-in-law. Moses has been judging the people and, and pronouncing, you know, here's what you need to do. And people are standing in line for hours to talk to Moses. And Jethro says, listen, this isn't a good use of your time, and it's not a good use of the resources that you have available. You've got wise men. Why don't you select a group of them, make sure they understand what God wants them to do, and let them decide among the people. And if there's an issue that's too difficult for them, then they can bring it to you. So a delegation of authority and that's what Moses did. He got uh, wise men. They, they began to, to, to hear the different grievances and things like that. And if something was significant, they would bring it to Moses. So he saw, oh, Moses, and the Bible says that Moses was the most humble, most meek man. Not meek in the sense of weak, but one who was submissive to the things of God, uh, power under authority. Uh, and so Joshua's watching all this. And, uh, and then when they get to the promised land, uh, they send... 12 spies to check it out. Joshua and Caleb were two of those, and one from every tribe. So Joshua gets to go into the promised land for 40 days. He's checking it out. They bring back some of the fruit. When they come back and they report to the people, you might remember the story, 10 of them said, yeah, it's a beautiful place, but the people that live there are, are giants, and they have fortified cities, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. But Joshua said, hey, listen, that might be true in the sense of fortified cities and giants, but God is with us. We can take the promised land. God has called us to have this. Caleb was the same way. But the people were afraid, and they took the, 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 the 10 spies, and they, they believed them. And so God said, okay, for 40, 40 years, you guys are going to wander in the wilderness, and all of you who doubted and, and were afraid and, and put fear in your children's heart, you're going to die in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb. Those are the only two adults that are going to make it through and get into the promised land. So for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. And that generation died out. And then we get to the point where I just read you out of Joshua chapter 1, uh, where Moses is, is, is dying and Joshua goes in to take the promised land. But did God prepare Moses, uh, Joshua? Yes. Joshua was able to watch Moses. He was his right-hand man. He was able to see how God worked with Moses and how God worked with the people. And then it says this in Numbers 32, verse 12, Joshua and Caleb followed the Lord completely. So not only do you see Joshua as somebody who was watching Moses, but he's somebody who followed the Lord completely. 
So at the very end of, of Deuteronomy, or, or in, in the book of Deuteronomy, we see that God tells uh, Moses that Joshua is going to be the one who leads the people into the promised land. And he encourages Moses to um, uh, build up Joshua and to bring Joshua before the people and say, here's the one who's going to lead you into the promised land. So the endorsement of Moses for Joshua was significant. Um, at the very end of Deuteronomy, in, in chapter 31, we see Moses bringing the entire people together. And he basically says, God is going to be with you as you cross the Jordan. And Joshua is going to be the one who leads you. So just like you listen to me, you need to listen to Joshua. And then he goes on and he tells the people to be strong and courageous. And don't be afraid. Don't tremble uh, before the people that are in the promised land. And he might be reminding them, yes, they're like giants. Yes, they have fortified cities. But don't tremble because God is going to be with you. It says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So he, Moses says this to the entire congregation or the entire people. Then Moses looks to Joshua and he says to them in the sight of all of Israel, be strong and courageous uh, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn their fathers to give them and you shall give it to them uh, as an inheritance. The Lord will be with you. He will go ahead of you, Moses says. God will not fail you and forsake you. So not only does Moses tell the people this, but then he tells Joshua this. And then he goes on to remind them of God's faithfulness. And then he brings Joshua out. The priest anoints him. He consecrates Joshua, and Joshua is ready. So then we get in the book of Joshua, and we see the Lord saying the same thing to Joshua that Moses said to the people and Moses said to Joshua. So we just read the first two verses. Verse three says, this is what God says to Joshua. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I will give it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. And then he starts telling them all the places that God is gonna give them. And then he says this in verse five of Joshua one, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you, I will not forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their forefathers. Now, I want to get real animated and I want to jump around, but my voice isn't giving me that permission this morning. But the bottom line is, can you imagine Almighty God standing before you and say, every place that you walk, every place where the sole of your foot hits on the ground, I'm going to give that to you. And then he says, there's not a person on earth that's going to be able to stand before you. In other words, you're going to defeat every army that comes against you. And here's how you can know that, Joshua, because I am with you. Just like I was with Moses, and you saw the mighty things that I did under his leadership, I'm going to do that with you. Now, when God says that to you, I don't know, but I, I just thought if I was Joshua, man, I'd be going, really? <laughs> For real? And then I'd probably go, let's do it. You know, let's do it. You know, and so, so Joshua, not only did Moses tell him this, not only did Moses tell the people this, but then Almighty God stands before Joshua and says, I want you to know that you're the man that I've handpicked and you're going to be able to do this. And then he goes on to say this, but let me just give you the balance so you don't get arrogant, so you don't get prideful, so you don't get cocky, so you don't think you can do this on, on your own. And then he says this. He says, be strong and courageous again, verse 7. 
But then he says, be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Then verse 8, and this is probably something very familiar to you. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So when Joshua has God speak to him and tells him these great things, then God balances by saying this, but Joshua, Mark McGoney translation, you can't strike out on your own and you can't do what you want to do. You need to obey me and you need to live by the law that I gave Moses and ask all of my followers to follow. And Joshua, as long as you'll do that, as long as you'll look to me, put your heart and your affections on me, and do what I've asked you to do, then you'll be prosperous and you'll be successful. So when I think about the new year, and I think about what's next, a lot of it is uncertain. We don't know what's coming up. But what God tells Joshua is what I'm going to hold on and what I encourage you to hold on. Because in the midst of uncertainty and the unknown, that's what's going to get us through. Let me give you an example. Last year, I mean, I had no idea that I was going to get the COVID virus. I had no idea that for two weeks of my life, I was not going to have enough energy to even feed myself. I had no idea, but God did. And because of your prayers and the faithfulness of God and an amazing wife and a good medication and a good doctor and God's mercy, I, I, I came through that. And unfortunately, not everybody comes through that. But in the midst of uncertainty, what do we do? We continue to look to God. We continue to put our trust in God that God is not going to forsake us and God is not going to leave us. God is not going to abandon us. He's going to see us through. So no matter what happens in 2021 or in 2022, as long as we look to God and we're faithful to walk with him, he's going to see us through. And the perspective that we need to keep is our eyes on Jesus let me, let me read to you a scripture out of Hebrews. It might be up on the screen. But this is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And it says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, the therefore is, is pointing back to chapter 11. And the writer talks about all these people from the Old Testament, how by faith they did this and by faith they did that. And they mention by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. It was under Joshua's leadership. The people of Israel did what God told them to do. They put their faith in Christ. They put their faith in God. And they said, we're going to do, God, what you want us to do. Now, the crazy thing about that was they had to march around the city, blowing trumpets. And, and for seven days, they did that. And on the seventh day, the walls fell down. They didn't go in there and try to take Jericho in the normal military fashion. They obeyed the Lord. They followed God. They trusted in God. And God, by faith, the walls fell down. So as you look at all the Old Testament men and women who were faithful to the Lord, for good and for bad, if we look at them as an example, 
He says, because we've got this great cloud of witnesses, and so since we've got all these people who've walked with God in the past, he said, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the point. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Last part of that verse. For consider him, consider Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If difficult times come, God doesn't want us to lose heart. God doesn't want us to faint. God doesn't want us to throw in the towel. God doesn't want us to be angry and bitter and and resentful. But he wants us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross the hostility of sinners toward him, the, the, the lashes and the, and the blows to the face and, and all of the horrific parts of that crucifixion experience of Jesus. He says, look to Jesus and draw encouragement. Look to Jesus and draw faith. So where is our focus? It's an example I've used with kids and youth and I've used it with you guys before. But, but what we focus on is so important. And if this represents our problems and we focus on it and we look at it, then it blurs everything else around us. And the more and the more we focus on it, the more and more we think about our problems, the more and more we think about our issues, it's as if this small little thing gets closer and closer and closer. And it gets to the point where that really is all that we see because we fixate on our problems. But if we do what the writer of Hebrews says, we put our eyes on Jesus and we focus on him, we still have a problem. We still have an issue. We still have a, something that's hard, but our focus isn't on it. It doesn't mean we deny it. It doesn't mean we don't acknowledge it, but we put our focus on Jesus. And then this gets into perspective. This comes into the view and, and the size it needs to be because we've put our faith in Christ. Now, let me give you an example of that. And you might know the story better. You, you know the story. It might be, but Peter... When Jesus is walking on the water, a fisherman, Peter, has been all his life. He's never walked on water. He swam in that water a lot. He's gone to get the nets. He's done different things. But when he asked Jesus, Jesus, if it's it's you that's walking on the water instead of a ghost, because we're all pretty scared, if it really is you, then why don't you tell me to come and walk on the water? Now, that's not putting God to the test. That was Peter asking Jesus. And Jesus said, Jesus could have said, Peter, don't worry about that. It is me. I'm going to get closer to you. Don't worry about it. It's me. But Jesus said, okay. And Jesus says, one word. He says, come. So as long as Peter put his faith in Christ and had his focus on Jesus, as he got out of the boat, what did he do? He walked on water. Peter walked on water. And then, as you remember the story, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts looking around. Now remember, there's a massive storm and the guys were rowing against it and the the boat was almost about to capsize. They They were already afraid and Jesus comes to them in the midst of that storm And when Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and starts looking around, what does the scripture say? 
he began to sink. Because people can't walk on water. And Jesus reaches out and grabs his hand. And they go back to the boat together. And he said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And Peter goes, well, because you got wind over here, you got waves over here, and people aren't supposed to walk on water. And Jesus would have said, as long as you put your faith in me and your trust in me, you can do anything that I tell you to do. And if I tell you to walk on water, you can do that. So this awesome God, this amazing, powerful God that Joshua followed and the people of Israel followed is the same God, is the same Jesus who says to you and me, trust me, do what I ask you to do. Don't worry about your future. There's enough cares for that. But just believe in me. And will we be prepared for the future? Yeah, yeah. We don't know what's coming. But we know who's holding our hand. And we know who's gone before us. And we know who's been behind us. Amen.